Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano, hosting today's program. If you don't like it, get off the line. If you like it, keep listening. If you're not sure, keep listening. You never know. You may learn something. Yes, debates. Now, look, uh, I don't particularly care who's the President of the United States of America. I know you may find that, you know, horrible, horrible, horrific. But I can understand the dilemma the American people are facing currently. But I was interested in one little concept regarding the debate, which I didn't watch. And that was the business of fact-checking facts and checking facts. And I thought, interesting concept. It's been around for a few years, but I thought I'd uh, look at that today. Now, if you wonder what anarchy is all about, yes, it is about checking facts. Anarchy society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures, which are based on equal decision-making power that's direct democracy. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. And why are those two principles central to the anarchist you know, initiative? Very simple. An anarchist society is a society without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power, your whole wealth in common. You got a better, you got a better viewpoint? Let me know. 0439 395 489. Anarchistage at yahoo.com or you can even write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Fact checking. Fascinating, isn't it? Now, I understand that uh, Mr. Trump or President Apparent Mr. Trump found himself in a little bit of debate. He found himself in a little bit of trouble during the debate yesterday because there are all these noxious people checking the facts. And I thought to myself, when have facts become such a crucial issue in discussion, political debate, social interaction? When have facts become so important? Because if you look at the history of this country, facts really are a disposable extra. And what I may do today is I may take a jaunt with you through the history of Australia, checking facts, 
checking facts which are accepted as gospel truth. Checking facts which are accepted as the foundation stones of the nation state, the sovereign nation state of Australia. Because I think it's important that, you know, we kind of look at this. Because, I mean, it's obvious Mr Trump has his own reality. He's obviously been a reality show star. He has his own reality, which he deals with. And facts are kind of a disposable extra. And when you listen to Madam Clinton... To a lesser degree, facts aren't that important. And we need to understand that facts really have minimal impact on political decisions, political discourse and what's actually happening in society today. So let's start off with a potted factual history of Australia from, you know, 40,000 years ago to 2016, September 2016. Let's begin at the beginning. And I'm not talking about the Bible. That's only 7,000 years old. Well, creation story. I'm not talking about the creation story. Now, we were told as young people that the basis on which this country was settled, the key word is settled, not invaded, settled, was terra nullius. That indigenous people who had lived here for over 40,000 years had no rights to land in law because they didn't exist. They had no association with the land. Didn't exist. Legal fiction. Legal fiction. So when... In 17, was it 76? I could be wrong, could have been 1770, when Captain Cook claimed Australia for the British monarchy. He claimed on the basis that this land was not settled. And when the first convicts were transported here on the 26th of January 1788 to Port Jackson, it was on the basis of Terranullis. And for over 200 years, this legal fiction of Terranullis, the land of no one, the land that belonged to no one, this legal fiction was part and parcel of our history, our story, and it regulated the relationship between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. And it wasn't until 1992 when Eddie Mabo, after a 10-year battle, won his High Court case, uh, which saw Tara Nullius being buried and the concept of native title come into the legislative framework that this fact became a fact. It's the first one. The second fact. Now, even up to a few years ago, there are many, 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 many people around the globe, not around the globe, around Australia, many people around Australia 
who, be, who believed, who believed, who believed, there are many people who believed that this country will settle peacefully, that consent was obtained, that this that this this was this country was um, settled peacefully. Okay. Well, obviously the facts are different. The facts are, and again, I'm sure there's very few people in 2016 would disagree with that. We're actually based on a brutal, bloody, invasive process which took over 120 years to pacify and colonise. Australia. Very simple. They're the facts. Begin, but again, these are not seen. These were never part and parcel of our historical record. Because if you acknowledge this fact that the traditional owners were dispossessed violently and illegally, then the question of compensation comes into play. So again, you don't worry about it. It's you know, we didn't worry about it as a society. Let's move on. We're told that Australian settlement was was you know, a reasonably polite type of situation. The convicts who were sent across here basically got on got on with it. Now, in the early days, in the early forty to in the early in the first forty to fifty years of colonization, convicts were basically nothing more than cheap labour. As long as they were fed They were, you know, that, that was their role. It was They were cheap labour. There were no such things as labour laws. That was the fact. And if you look at the early colonial history, not just in terms of the relationship with Indigenous Australians, but the relationship between the British military and convicts who were sent here from all, colony, from all corners of the British colonies the treatment that was meted out to a significant number of them was brutal and harsh. And people had no rights, none whatsoever. The first strike that was organised in 1825 by ticket-to-leave men who were basically convicts who've been, you know, uh, released into the general community to be used as, uh, you know, a free labour, was brutally put down and the person who organised the dispute received 500 lashes and died as a result of that uh, beating. Legal beating, obviously. Then as we move on, we see this struggle, this continuing struggle that occurred in the society between those who exercise power and those who had no power. And as we saw wave upon wave of immigration, we saw that struggle intensify. 
and it intensified to such a degree, there was a huge series of strikes across the colonies in the 1890s, which resulted as a... They occurred because of the collapse of the economy and we saw tens of thousands of people dispossessed. Fact. Now, it wasn't until people began to organise themselves into workplace organisations, which were based on trade in this country, not side of not side of work, but trade and community organisations. Many of them with a radical bent, like the Melbourne Anarchist Club, which was formed on the first of May, eighteen eighty six. That we actually saw agitation occur, which resulted in the creation not just of the Australian Labor Party in all the states and then federally, but which resulted in the improvement of the conditions of many working men and women in this country who enjoyed no rights, no conditions to speak of, no social security system, no social security net. And it wasn't until that wave of strike in the 1890s when the threat of revolution was actually on the cards with armed strikers, you know, taking a position against the authorities, that things began to change for ordinary people. So it was the direct action and political action through the Australian, the newly formed Australian Labor Party which led to a series of legislative initiatives which set the basis for the creation of a society where the welfare of the individual was no longer the primary responsibility of that individual, but the welfare of the individual also became the responsibility of the community and the state. And it's a fact that it was that radical agitation, those strikes, those occupations, those mass protests, which led to a change in the character of this country as it moved towards federation in the 1890s. And if it wasn't for that agitation... Those changes which occurred would have never occurred, never have occurred in the history of this country. And it's a fact, but it's a fact you never hear about. You never hear or see or read in the majority of cases how important this agitation was in creating this new community. Fact. Let's move on. Federation. Fact. Let's move on. The first Labor government, federal government, minority government for about two or three months. 
then there was another Labor government. And it's a fact that at that particular point in time, the Labor Party was not the alternative Liberal Party. They hadn't taken on the stripes of the ruling class. It was a fact that it was a party which attempted to look after the interests of the people who it represented, working people in this country. And one of the first pieces of legislation which occurred was legislation which created the Commonwealth Bank. And why was the Commonwealth Bank created? It was created because privately owned banks which existed at the beginning of the 20th century did not lend money to working people, to buy homes, to start businesses. They did not lend money. It was only through the creation of a state-owned, government-guaranteed bank that this occurred and the economic fortunes of people began to change. Fact. Let's move on to World War One. Now, those of you who have survived the hysteria surrounding the centenary of the Gallipoli landing and other events which occurred during World War One would be forgiven for thinking that Australia was a united nation during 1914 to 1918. Nothing could be further from the truth. There are significant sections of Australian society who understood that World War I was basically a dirty little trade war fought by workers at either end of a bayonet for the glory of God, King and country. Not everybody volunteered. Of the 400,000 Australian men who volunteered, 62,000 died on the European killing fields and another 60,000 died of their wounds within 10 years of returning home. So you've got almost 35% of these young men who volunteered, who thought they were doing the right thing, who were slaughtered for nothing. And let's not forget, there were other heroes and heroines during this campaign. And these were the men and women in Australian society who fought tooth and nail to ensure that the plebiscites which were held on the 28th of October 1916 and the 20th of December 1917 defeated the introduction of conscription. Conscription was introduced in New Zealand, conscription was introduced in Great Britain, conscription was introduced in Germany and in Austria and in Turkey and we can actually see the death rate in terms of per head of the population, was much higher in these countries where conscription was introduced and men and women were sacrificed on the European killing fields as cannon fodder, sent across no man's land to battle machine gun nests. Just extraordinary. An extraordinary situation. So this fact 
that Australians fought and defeated introduction of conscription in this country has been written out of the Australian historical record. Another fact that's been written out of the Australian historical record. And on the 28th of October this year, and I'll talk about it more next week or the week after, we will be marking the 100th anniversary of that first plebiscite which was held on the 28th of October 1916. Another unpalatable fact. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move into the late 20th world, 20th century. We're told consistently every day that the Whitlam Labor-led government was the worst government in the history of the Australian Australian history, you know, post-colonial history. Worst in the world. Worst. Scum. Filth. Economic, you know, incompetence. Now, I lived through that period, and I was a young person during that period. And although I'm not a great, you know, believer in parliamentary democracy, I do give credit where credit is due. Because those of you who have wasted your time watching Howard talk about Menzies on the Government Guild at ABC over the past few weeks, which I couldn't be bothered doing, may have forgotten that this country was ossified, ossified during that era. And the election of a, the Whitlam-led Labor government led to more reforms in four and a half years than we have seen in the history of this country. Introduction of legal aid. The introduction, and again when we come to legal aid, just to take a bit of credit, the Anarchist Free Store in Smith Street, Collingwood in Melbourne, was the first organisation which introduced free legal aid in this country. And its example acted as a impetus for the government of the day to actually introduce the concept of legal aid, which is a simple concept of giving you know, people at least some chance in the courts. No-fault divorce was introduced. Single parents' benefits for young mothers who had to relinquish their children before then because they had no financial support from the government of the day. The introduction of Medibank, as it was called then, which was then turned into Medicare. The introduction of community radio in this country. And you are listening to community radio as a direct consequence of that decision which was made in 1973 to break the power the corporate-owned media had on the dissemination of information in this country. Fact. And I could go on and on and on. Fact, fact, fact. Facts that are not acknowledged, let alone celebrated. 
You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Scarry, I'm hosting today's program. If you'd like to uh, telephone me, 0439 395 489, leave a message, I'll get back to you within 24 hours. Can't get back to you straight away. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. The Anarchist World this week is broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, I don't want to sound like a, a broken record, you know, and I just want to spend two minutes. Now, we are inundated on a daily basis with information that there is never enough resources for social security, public education, public health, public infrastructure, and the list goes on and on and on. Obviously, I agree. There will never be enough resources to look after the needs of us as a people if a significant section of the population, both the 15% who are part of the investment class, who've got negatively geared properties and uh, stock market purchases, and the corporate sector pay voluntary taxation. There will never be enough resources. Now, I speak about this every week. These are facts. And if you want to change that equation, it's not a matter of begging and beseeching the government of the day. It's a matter of taking direct action to ensure, like they did in the 1890s, to ensure that the mindset of the nation Changes. Fact. Let's get back to the facts. Let's get back to a few things that we hear every day because I think it's important that we look at what we're told. We are constantly told we live in the lucky country, that we live in an egalitarian community. Now, a few unpalatable facts. Between the era of the dismissal of the Labor government in 1975 and 2016, for every dollar an investor invests, one third, 33.3 cents, goes to those people who provide the labour to create that profit and 66.66% goes to those who invest that dollar. That is what we see in 2016. Fact. In 1975, for every dollar that was invested, 66.66% cents of that dollar went to those people who provided the labour to create that profit, and 33.3% or 33.3 cents in that dollar went to those who invested that money. Fact. So in the space of 40 years, during the globalisation, privatisation, deregulation and corporatisation revolution that we've experienced in this country, which has been supported by the major political parties, both the Liberal National Party and the Alternative Labor Party, sorry, the Alternative Liberal Party, masquerading as the Australian Labor Party, it's a fact. Things have 
changed radically. We have gone through a revolution. It looks like a bloodless revolution initially, but in terms of the cost to the individual and the community, it's been horrendous. And we see that every day in the debate that goes on about the fact that we need to make savings as far as social security benefits is concerned. Now, I received a little statement from the tax department recently, which tells me, you know, so much. And I looked at the statement, I'm just digressing for a minute, and it said welfare, not social security, welfare, as if a social security benefit is somehow something you should be ashamed of. Just extraordinary. But going back to these facts, in 2016, 1% of Australians own 40% of the wealth and 40% of Australians own 1% of the wealth. Fact. So how can anybody say with a straight face... And these lies, you know, these omissions make you know make Trumps look, you know, minimal. That we live in an egalitarian community. We don't live in an egalitarian community. We have never lived in an egalitarian community. The most egalitarian period in our history was, you know, from the nineteen sixties and nineteen seventies. And that occurred for one very good reason, because of the strength of the trade union movement. And that's why 66.6% of profits went into the pockets of the workers and 33.3% of profits went into the pockets of investors, while in 2016 it's diametrically opposed. Fact. F-A-C-T. Fact. We don't live in an egalitarian community. Anybody who says we live in an egalitarian community is a liar. Let's move on. We live... In the land of opportunity, we all have the same opportunities in life. We just need to grab them and we can all have a satisfying, stable, secure, happy existence. We're told this is the fact. We don't talk about being an egalitarian community in 2016 because everybody knows it's a load of crap. But we do talk about the land of opportunity, that we all have equal opportunity. Well, we don't have equal opportunity. We don't have equal opportunity. How can somebody who is born to parents who rely on social security benefits to survive, whether it's because they're unemployed or single parents or on a disability support pension. How can we say that somebody who is born in that situation, who then has to navigate through an underfunded, under-resourced public education system and then move into a tertiary education system and be saddled with a hex debt for the rest of their existence, has the same opportunity in life as somebody who is born in a family that can afford 
the best in life, put them through private education, and then pay for their tertiary education. Of course there's no equality of opportunity. And it's all very well for the government to say that it's a job that gives you opportunity. The fact is that in 21st century Australia, that most work is part-time, it's insecure, poorly paid. And when you're trying to meet your commitments in terms of paying rent or a mortgage in a housing market, which is extremely difficult to enter, in a period where wages are relatively fixed, and at the same time, you know, pay all your other bills, it becomes extremely, it becomes increasingly difficult to survive. Increasingly difficult. That's the reality we face every day. That's the reality we all face. Well, not all of us, some of us. Not everybody faces that reality, but some of us do. I mean, that's the reality. So it's not a fact that we live in a land of equal opportunity. We don't live in a land of equal opportunity. Anybody who says we do is a liar. Simple. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Now, I see our political leaders, especially our conservative political leaders and our conservative political representatives, froth at the mouth. Froth at the mouth when we hear that the Chinese Communist Party is oppressing workers and is denying workers the right to form trade unions and collectively bargain. And we're told that we have the freedom to strike in Australia. And my eyes glaze over the freedom to strike. We may have had the freedom to strike in the 1960s and 1970s because of a concerted trade union, a strong trade union movement. But over the last 40 years, we have seen the introduction of legislation which has made it almost a criminal offence to be a trade unionist in this country, which has made it a criminal offence to withdraw your labour outside an enterprise bargaining agreement, which makes it a terrorist offence to occupy a workplace with a twenty-five possible 25-year prison sentence hanging over your head, which denies workers the ability, which reduces workers to the status of having less rights, legal rights, than somebody who's been charged with important a grand or sorry hundred kilograms of cocaine who can say no comment while a trade unionist can be dragged to a secret meeting and if they inform anybody about it and refuse to cooperate can be jailed. There is no right to withdraw your labour in this country. There is no right to strike. Fact F-A-C-T. Then we're told 
that we live in a democratic society, that we live in a society where the people elect representatives who make laws to look after our needs. Democracy. And democracy is such a valued concept in this country that it is illegal not to participate in the parliamentary system. It is illegal not to vote. And I can talk about that, having been through the courts for the last year regarding this particular question. Interesting. So what is democracy? What is democracy 2016 style? What is it? What exactly is it? And why are so many people disillusioned with the concept of rule by the people for the people? Because what we have is a rudimentary form of democracy. It's democracy in name only. It's simple. You are forced by legislation to elect representatives to make decisions for you for the next three years. And they can promise you anything. And once they're in Parliament, they don't have to follow through one of their promises. And all you can do is wait for another three years and put your faith in another batch of representatives to do the right thing by you. And to make matters worse, real power in this country doesn't lie in Parliament. That power has been usurped by that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, who ultimately determine the type of legislation which goes through Parliament. Think about it. Why should 26 million people living on a continent not be able to have their basic needs met if we lived in a democracy where our representatives were able to pass legislation to ensure the corporate sector paid their fair share of taxation? Simple. So we don't live in a democratic society. I don't know what you'd call it. Maybe you'd call it a corpocracy. But it's not a democratic society. It's far from a democratic society. Then we're told we have a free media. Now when I look around and I look at the media in this country, and I look around and I see, what do I see? I see a corporate-owned media whose primary responsibility is to make a profit for their major shareholders. And I see a government guild at ABC that has been leaned on by successive governments to ensure only certain viewpoints are ever put forward. And when you move to the World Wide Web, what you see is narrowcasting. What you see is people finding resources which somehow reinforce their prejudices. So do we have freedom of speech? Of course we don't have freedom of speech. There is no constitutional protection for freedom of speech. The only freedom of speech we have constitutionally in this country 
is the right to express our opinions during a federal election campaign. An implied freedom of speech, which are restricted to a federal election campaign. And then we're told that we have constitutional protections in this country, that we are protected by the Constitution, that we are protected from the arbitrary exercise of state power by the Constitution. And the Australian Constitution is essentially a document which regulates the relationship between the central government and the states. Fact. There are no constitutional protection apart from the constitutional protection to freedom of religion. If you're a Muslim, practising Muslim in this country today, you may think you don't have that actual freedom of religion. That's it. There was no arbitrary exercise, no protection for the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power, and that's why every year we see more and more draconian legislation which is put in place in order to protect our so-called rights. There's no constitutional protection of the individual from the state. And if we look at the site of the fate of asylum seekers, you can see what you can legally do to them because what's happening to them is legal. L-E-G-A-L. Fact. So... There are a lot of unpalatable facts in this country. And the most unpalatable fact in this country is that we, as a nation, we as a people, we as individuals, we as parts of a community, have forgotten the basic lesson of life. And that basic lesson of life is that every right we enjoy today is a product of struggle. It was not given to us on high. It never was. And what we've seen over the last 40 years during the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation and globalisation revolution, which is coming to a screeching halt as we speak, is the reversal of that concept, the reversal of the gains which were made through a century of struggle, where we see those who earn the most pay the least and those who earn the least pay the greatest sacrifice not just in terms of financial terms, but in terms of their future, in terms of their options. And let's not forget that 33% of Australians rely on Social Security benefits to survive, and in most cases it's less than $400 a week, which is below the poverty line. And let's not forget that it's pay-as-you-earn taxpayers, the mugs in the society, who form the backbone of the taxation system every 70 cents for every dollar which is spent on Social Security benefits, defence, you know, uh, to keep the parliament running, comes from pay-as-you-earn taxpayers, not the corporate sector, who pay voluntary taxation in this country. Fact. Now, if you don't believe me, look, I'm happy to talk to you. I mean, there's, I'm on a number of radio programs. Another, another program I do is called Talk Back with Adagen, Community Radio 3CR. 
between 9.30 and 10.30 9 every Thursday morning. Give me a ring. 039 419 Happy to dis- debate it with you. Fact. But the fact is that as a society, we have been moulded into carping, complaining consumers. We are no longer active citizens with rights and responsibilities in law. We are carping, complaining consumers. And that's what we have been moulded into because we expect that by working up the right channels, things will change. Things won't change by working up the right channels. If they would, that would have occurred years ago. And our historical journey where we've been looking for facts highlights the fact that it's through direct action and through struggle and to a lesser degree through political action that change occurs and that when we vacate that space and are browbeaten by legislation and allow these inequalities to persist and fester and grow, that things deteriorate for the majority of the population. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I've been fact-checking today, fact-checking. Now, a few things. Look, if you are, you want to do something. Some people say, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too tired, I'm too cynical, you can't fight City Hall, nothing can change. Well, something you can do which is very simple, it doesn't cost you anything, and it does make you part of a potential, and the key word is potential political social movement, is join public interests before corporate interests. Now, we would like to register as a federal political party for the next six to nine months, but in order to register, we need 550 people on the electoral roll. Because, you know, it's funny, isn't it? You can be an Australian citizen who's not on the electoral roll, but you can't, your, your name is not, can't be used to register a political party. It's only those people who are on the electoral roll you can use to register a political party. So, whether you are or you aren't on the electoral roll, we're interested in membership, you want, you're sick and tired of listing every day for people saying to you, there's not enough money for Social Security, there's not enough money for public education, there's not enough money for this, there's not enough money for that, you're going to have to suffer, blah, 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 while you see the rich are getting richer and those who exercise power getting more powerful and you're seeing what few rights you have been whittled away through a legislative framework both at the local, state and federal level. Well, then now's the time to join public interest before corporate interests. You can do it a number of ways. You can download the application form from PIBCI, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can hold a public meeting in your neck of the woods and we'll help you organise a public meeting in your neck of the woods for public interest before corporate interests. You can ring me on 0439 395 489. You can go to the Facebook page public interest before corporate interest. You can go to our website, pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net, and download the application form. The list goes on and on. There are options. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't even require any sweat. 
or even any particular courage. Join us. Think about it. Now, this Sunday, the 2nd of October, the Frankston Hastings branch of public interest before corporate interests has organised a public meeting regarding public education education, the privatisation of public education. And Dr Jean Ely will be the uh, guest speaker. Dr Ely is the one of the foundation members of the Defence of Government Schools in 1964, which is an organisation which for years, decades, has been fighting for public education. So public interest before corporate interest organised a public meeting between 1pm and 4pm, Sunday the 2nd of October, uh, the Seaford Community Centre, that's Seaford in Melbourne, Seaford Community Centre, Station Street in Seaford. Uh, it's only about 50 metres from the railway station, so there is public transport available. If you, you don't have access to private transport, public transport is available. So I encourage you to go. If you are interested in those ideas, if you're interested in public interests before corporate interests. Now, on the same day, the 2nd of October, I'm hosting a meeting in Ballarat in Victoria for uh, candidates who are standing in the Ballarat City Council elections and I think about 16 have uh, agreed to participate to date on three questions. One, flying the Eureka flag on the main flagpole over the Ballarat City Hall never occurred in the 161-year history of the Eureka Rebellion. Two, declaring a public holiday in the Ballarat region on Eureka Day, the 3rd of December, to uh, highlight the importance of the Eureka Rebellion to the rest of Australia, and three, agitating via the federal government to recognise the Eureka flag as an official Australian flag. Three concepts they'll be speaking about. So if you're in the region, if you're interested in coming along, you don't need to ring anybody, you just turn up. 11am start... 1pm finish, tea and coffee available at Ballarat Trades Hall, the second oldest trades hall in the world, at 24 Camp Street in Ballarat, behind the uh, Ballarat Art Gallery. So it's right in the centre of Ballarat, 24 Camp Street, 11am to 1pm. We'll have at least 15, 16 candidates there. It's interesting that of the, uh, I think, 27 candidates that are standing, it's 27, 28, that nine, that every that every member of the Ballarat City Council is re-standing, the whole nine of them are re-standing. And, and currently, and hopefully it'll change, of those nine members, only two have actually agreed to attend the uh, pub, candidate's public meeting on the day regarding those questions, because obviously... Now, the Ballarat City Council has been the preserve of uh, conservative and uh, elements, not just in the last election, but for many, many, many decades. The people of Ballarat, especially representatives, have had a, a very uh, interesting um, uh, attitude to the Ballarat Rebellion. They're happy to make a buck and happy to use the symbols of the Ballarat Revolution, uh, but re- refuse to honour the men and women who paid the ultimate price. So you've got two functions you can you can attend on the day. Simple. That's uh, you can attend the function I'm hosting in Ballarat on Sunday, the second of October, eleven a.m. to one p.m. It's been hosted by the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion Celebrations Committee. 
uh, where the candidates will have three to four minutes each, uh, I think about four minutes at this stage each, to talk about uh, their opinion on these issues. And if you want to follow up these issues, you can follow them by going to the website, anarchismedia.org, or you can actually go to my Facebook page, Toscano, the number four, the public. Toscano for the public, not FOR, number four. Uh, you can go to that website, you can see the debate that's occurring uh, on that Facebook page and uh, come along. But if you're, in, you're not near Ballarat, you still have another function you can attend. That's the public education meeting organised by the Frankston Hastings Pipsy Branch, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, uh, which is the guest speaker is Dr Jean Ely, who's a foundation member of the Defence of Government Schools organisation. It's been organised. It will be held between 1pm and 4pm, Sunday the 2nd of October, at the Seaford Community Centre, which is in Station Street, Seaford, in Melbourne. It's less than about 50 metres from the Seaford Railway Station, so there is public transport, which runs pretty regularly on, on Sunday afternoon, so come along. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australian Community Radio Satellite, we've been doing a fact checks. I didn't watch the debate in America, but I was interested in the concept of checking facts, and we thought we'd check a few facts for you today regarding the Australian dream. And uh, sometimes dreams turn into nightmares, and then nightmares turn into dreams, but again, it takes a bit of conscious action. Action. You can ring me on 0439 395 489. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 305. Two, you can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can download the application form for public interest before corporate interest from pibci.net. Don't forget the meeting at Seaford uh, Community, Community Centre regarding public education hosted by Frankston Hastings Branch of Pipsy and the same day, uh, the meeting in Ballarat. You can go to the web uh, webpage, pipsy.net, anarchistmedia.org, or my Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Again, please listen in next week, but I think the important thing to remember is that without your active support, nothing changes. We do need a bit of support. If you can't do anything else, send us $1 stamps. We Seriously, it's short of $1 stamps. We need to do a few mass mail-outs. Yes, many of our people do not use the net. So if you've got any dollar stamps, send them to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. And remember that if you're in the city of Melbourne in the CBD, go and visit the Tanaminawai Mulbohina Monument, which is the corner of Franklin and Victoria Street, opposite the old city jail. Put some flowers on the monument. Put some flowers. Make it a living monument. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network next week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.